Free agency has only just begun, but we still have plenty of moves to talk about. We're going to tell you the winners and the losers. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. After all this, I mean, free agent rush and all these trades happening, um, everything that's occurred over the last couple of days, rather than talk about things from a news perspective, um, obviously there's far too many transactions for us to do any due diligence on, um, even too many trades for us to do due diligence on. So what we wanted to do is start off this week's episode by actually talking about the winners and losers so far from free agency. Of course, this is only three days in. Um, This episode is being recorded on Wednesday night, so anything that happens the rest of the week won't be factored in. But at this point in time, I wanted to break down, um, you know, a couple of winners that we see as standing out in free agency thus far and making their teams far stronger than they were before free agency started. And then also some teams that are, um, you know, not in a good place um, after the start of free agency, whether it's for cap reasons or whether it's for the lack of talent that they've brought in or or the amount of talent they've lost. So, Daniel... um, First couple names here on the list in the winner column. Uh, why do they stand out to you as winners? I think, yeah, we have to start by talking about a team that I like over and over was talking about as a team with um, a crazy amount of cap room for how good they actually were. And that was the Buffalo Bills. They just came out and like almost put themselves in win now mode. It feels that way, even though, well, I guess it makes sense with Josh Allen Solomon's rookie contract, but they come out. They make a huge trade for Stephon Diggs where, I mean, honestly, good on the Vikings for getting the return they did for a disgruntled guy, unlike another team that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, But grabbing Josh Norman, who is not who he used to be, but on not a terrible deal, one year, six mil. And, um, you know, going to a system where, I mean, um, Sean McDermott knows how to use him too, right? So, I mean, the amount of Carolina guys going to Buffalo, you better believe that Sean McDermott knows what he's getting to. Oh, for sure. And then Mario Addison and Vernon Butler both going there too, just adding a little more depth to that, or not even depth. Those are guys who are both going to start on that line. Um, The Bills have essentially, once again, stated themselves as likely the team that I would think at this point is winning the AFC East and and really can threaten for um, a Super Bowl if Josh Allen can just develop a little bit more. I would agree. And uh, some other moves there as well. Um, they re-signed their safety uh, Poyer, I want to say. Is that his name? They have an extension, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, lots of moves here by the Buffalo Bills. And they, we know they have the cap space. So um, going in, we knew that they were going to be active players. But over and over, we heard they need a receiver. They need that top-end receiver. They need um, that receiver to help them, you know, beyond Cole Beasley and beyond John Brown. And they absolutely got it in Stephon Diggs. Um, I know that a lot of times people were wanting to see AJ Green there, but I think they got someone far better, someone far younger, um, or sorry, I should say better at this point in their career, right? Yeah. Looking at where AJ Green is and how much he's actually costing the Bengals now. Um, so yeah, it, honestly, there's no other way to describe the Bills so far in free agency other than winners. And they now um, have one of the best receiving cores in football. Easy. Absolutely. I think now it's a question of... Um, what are they going to do to develop Josh Allen in the offseason? Because I think that's where the buck stops. Um, that team will be elite. Like, I, I think that they could challenge the Chiefs in the AFC. Um, I don't think there's too many people that would disagree with that comment. It's more so just a question now of how much confidence do they have in Josh Allen. So, uh, yeah, lots of great moves by the Bills. Um, they weren't the only team in the AFC East, though, that were uh, just shelling out a bunch of cash to, um, yeah, proven players. And, 
man, that Dolphins list is long, the amount of players that they signed. So the ones that we wanted to highlight were Shaq Lawson, um, Kyle Van Noy, Byron Jones, Eric Flowers, um, Emmanuel Ogba, Jordan Howard. Um, they also got a Landon Roberts. They also got Ted Karras. Um, the Dolphins are making so many moves, it's hard to catch up. But Daniel, like the amount of money that these guys are spending, uh, it's somewhat expected, but I didn't realize how much talent that they'd be bringing in all within the first three days of free agency. This is still not a competitive football team, at least not at this point, I don't think. Three first round picks. That Think one, about that. But right? again, like, the, we've talked about too how the draft is kind of a crapshoot. They could miss on all three of those picks. Like that, honestly, they could hit on all three, they could miss on all three, right? That's just, I, I need to see five, six weeks out of this team before I really want to crown them in any way. But um, I think something we saw from them was some boldness in assuming what was going to happen with the salary cap under this new CBA, making Byron Jones the highest paid corner in football, which. I think we can agree he does not deserve that title talent. Well, he's good, but he's not top corner in football. Um, paying Eric Flowers 10 mil a year, playing Shaq Lawson 10 mil a year, giving Kyle Van Oy. I talked about how I thought he'd be one of the most likely to get overpaid, and I think he did. I think they are banking on the salary cap skyrocketing next well, year. Well, and they have so much money that it was just, they didn't want to get into a debate with these players about how much they were going to get paid. I think that they just wanted to outbid the market and have no competition whatsoever. That's truly what it seemed like. The, um, the Jordan Howard signing might be sneaky good in the end, but they're giving uh, him what, just over five a year? I think it's two-year, $10 million is what I remember hearing. So for a guy who has shown that when he's healthy, he can be a solid running back on a team that was led in rushing yards by Ryan Fitzpatrick at just under 300 last year, he'll be, he could be a 1,000-yard rusher on that team. I, I really think that's possible. Yeah, one interesting thing to call out, specifically with the Dolphins, um, of course, I think they're winners because of the fact that they got a lot of Patriots. And the reason that that's, uh, you know, makes them a winner is because I think Brian Flores especially knows how to use them. Alandon and Roberts. stealing from in-division just makes you better. That's two games a year where you just took players from the team you have to play. It, well, exactly, right? And, I mean, Brian Flores knows them too. So there's so many dimensions of why those are great moves. Um, Kyle Van Noy, great example. Alandon Roberts, great example. Ted Karras, great example. Um the Miami Dolphins did what they knew that these players wanted, right? Whether it was the max amount of money, whether it was the right deal for them. Um, the interesting thing that I want to call out, just because of how much money these guys are shelling out, and I think their disregard for, um, yeah, just the money that they're throwing out, right? You, you bring up the salary cap, which is a good point. If that changes, maybe they're not in as big of trouble. But the fact that they have the two highest paid corners in the league and both of them don't really deserve to be making that much money, um, that's something that made me a little bit skeptical. And I know a lot of others too. How, how sustainable is that? And again, it, it's so much dependent now on what the cap is going to look like following all these new TV deals and the new CBA really getting enacted money-wise. So like, who knows? I wouldn't be shocked if Byron Jones by the end of like next offseason or two offseasons from now is like top six, top seven, rather than number one because of the way the cap might go. But I think they were just a team that said, we have a ton of money and we don't care. Like, if things go wrong, they, they were one of the worst teams in football last year. It's not like it's a terrible thing. And with three first-round draft picks, you're hoping you can pick up some quality talent along the way. So I think a lot of these signings were just kind of, uh, in essence, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick. Absolutely. And, I mean, the thing that um, – I heard a couple people talk about this, and I really like the narrative. The Miami Dolphins started off horrible last year. But if you actually watch the way that they played towards the end of the season, this is a good football team. And so all the moves that they're making, to your point, right, not all of them are going to be home runs. But I think 
the work that they're doing right now, investing in players they're familiar with and that they know how to use uh, to the best of their abilities. I think that's what's um, going to lift them up and maybe give them a little bit more of a competitive advantage than a lot of people think. Um, there's another team that is sort of lower down on the list, um, a team that had high expectations last year and didn't deliver at all. Um, they're restructuring their organization, but looks like they're in win-now mode. The, the Los Angeles Chargers, um, sneakily having a very good free agency. No, they didn't hit a home run on the Tom Brady front. Um, they don't quite have a quarterback right now other than Terod Taylor, I don't believe. But these guys have nailed it in just about every other category, and I'm really impressed with their haul so far. This team's a QB away from being a real threat. Um, the Brian Balaga pickup was sneaky good because they just traded Russell Okung for one of the best guards in football. Everyone's, well, you just traded away a good tackle. Well, honestly, Brian Balaga is probably better than Russell Okung at this point. So you got a better tackle. You have one of the best guards in the game. You got Austin Eckler on a deal that to me just feels like an absolute steal for the for caliber sure. of player. Yeah. Um, you brought in Chris Harris, which like he's still a really, really good corner. You tag Hunter Henry to shore up that that entire offense to give you that threat if he's healthy and ready to play. Um, and then even just the Linville Joseph signing, like underrated, but but he'll help in the middle of that defense. He's a nice fat presence. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the Chargers have a lot of presence on the outside of their defensive line with Bosa and with Ingram. Um, they don't have too many challenges there other than injuries, right? Like when those guys get hurt, there's uh, obviously gaps. But I think Linval Joseph in the middle of their defense will be a big help for sure. So I think the the Chargers are aware that um, they needed to protect, protect whoever their quarterback was going to be, whether that's Tom Brady at 43 years of age or whether that's um, whoever they decide to bring in, whether that's Tua, whoever. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for them to invest in their offensive line and, yeah, to develop some of those other pieces where um, – they, they do need to get stronger if they want to make a push for this division. Obviously, they have an uphill battle facing the Chiefs, but it's it's all about getting better in key areas where you know um, that team is going to pick on your weaknesses. And we saw the Chiefs just destroy offensive lines this year with Frank Clark, with Chris Jones, and some of the other talented players on their D-line. So uh, the Chargers are absolutely winning right now. And, I mean, Chris Harris is another great move for them. Their defensive backfield is just... Studly, like when they're all healthy, that's going to be scary to throw against that defense. And obviously, who's that prepared well, for? They, they need to be in that division. You don't have a choice. Exactly. Who's that prepared for? The Chiefs, right? They're preparing that defense in order to be equipped to handle the Chiefs. Um, there was another team that I, I mean didn't make too many signings, but they're also competing with the Chiefs and and want to run through the AFC this year. The Baltimore Ravens made some sneaky good deals. Um, they're also improving their defensive line, and that's where the, the forefront of their focus has been. They made a great trade uh, to get Calais Campbell from the Jaguars. I think it was for a fifth-round pick, basically like peanuts for the guy um, who's obviously very, very talented. And uh, I mean, just go look at his stats, and you know exactly what he's capable of doing. Um, and then they also got Michael Brockers from the uh, Los Angeles Rams. As far as I'm concerned, they're making their, their defensive line one of the strongest in the league, and I don't necessarily think everyone has that perspective, but this defense will be a force to be reckoned with, and we remember how good their offense was. Can't forget the Hayden Hurst trade that picked them up some draft picks too. So they're, uh, yeah, they're looking like, I mean, a team that didn't have much to lose and is now instead having a chance to just continue to build on um, what was a Super Bowl caliber squad last year. So the defensive line, I mean, Tagging Judon, picking up Brockers and Calais Campbell, 
uh, I don't really want to face that front anymore because now you, even if the talent, like Calais Campbell's gotten older, Michael Brockers is good but not great, but having all three of those guys on the same line, like I'm not interested in going up against that. So um, just a solid, I don't know, it's one of those things where it feels like you can have success by just overloading one area of the field. Like having a really strong defensive line, the 49ers showed it. Like you're so disruptive at that point that like, I mean, they had a decent enough defensive backfield, but you don't need to because the quarterback has no time. Yeah, I believe that was actually something that uh, I think someone from the Indianapolis Colts was quoted as saying was that look at what the 49ers did to go from not being a good football team to an outstanding football team. A lot of that revolved around getting good on the defensive line. So I think teams are starting to follow that prototype of um, you don't necessarily have to have the best secondary or invest in the most expensive uh, members in the back half of your defense if you can constantly get pressure on the quarterback. So great moves by the the Ravens to put them in that category of uh, strong defensive lines. Obviously, the Buccaneers followed this trend as well. Another team that we would call Adam a winner. Cries. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to avoid talking about that move first. But Shaq Barrett giving him a franchise tag, um, probably a, quite a bit less than what he would have got if he signed a, a long-term deal or maybe even a one-year deal with any other team. Um, so the Buccaneers, as far as I'm concerned, got a discount. Um, and then Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, I think a two-year, $27 million deal or something along those lines. Again, this team wants to show that they're they're getting stronger on that defensive front by just making sure they retain their members who were a huge contributor who who were huge contributors last year. Um, great moves by the Buccaneers, as far as I'm concerned. They need to get that defense a lot stronger. Uh, their offense, as we know, has a lot of star power, and they brought in Tom Brady to be a part of that. And did I cry yesterday? Uh, yes, <laughs> but at the same time. Uh, he's going to a situation where he believes is best for himself. And I think that he's got a lot of say over the roster here. I believe that was part of the terms and conditions. So if he's able to bring in Antonio Brown as well, the Buccaneers instantly become a team to watch. And I mean, the Saints are still the favorite in that division, I would assume. But the Buccaneers are doing everything possible to make sure that they are uh, not just a contender in the, the NFC South, but in the NFC. Yeah, you. Ugh, it's such a hard thing to talk about unbiasedly um but just some some immediate thoughts like the signing makes sense for tom he goes to a, an offense that is already freaking loaded oj howard no mike kidding. evans um chris godwin just stupid good and cameron Brait too true um yeah I, lots of lots i of question his fit in bruce arian's offense that's the only thing so we'll see because tom brady has never been a strong arm quarterback and that's what bruce arian's kind of thrives with his offensive scheme so that's kind of my only hesitation and um, feeling this is an amazing fit. Um, obviously, this is so dependent on whether or not Tom Brady regresses going into his year 44 season now. He's going into 43. 43? Yeah. So that'll be, I mean, the biggest question. Because if he can effectively run Bruce Arians' offense with this set of weapons, it's going to be lights out. They'll win the NFC South. But if there's any signs of regression, then this could be a really ugly year. Tom Brady's dad said it a few years ago, like when Tom Brady, when the end of his career comes, it's going to be ugly. And he was right. This whole, the last few weeks has just been a media scuttle to try to see where he would go. And uh, I don't think anyone expected to wake up to, to a tweet and a, an Instagram post from Tom Brady saying that he was without any semblance of where he was going, just saying like, I'm not going back to the Patriots. So, and you know what? Um, 
I love the way that Robert Kraft handled this, quite frankly. I'm a Patriots fan through and through, and that won't change no matter where Tom Brady goes or any player on the Patriots roster ever goes. Um, but Robert Kraft presented or was about to present Tom Brady with the number, and Tom Brady said, don't bother. Um, and that's truly what the narrative will be, as far as I'm concerned, is that it was Tom Brady's decision to move on from this team. So if he's going to a situation that works best for him, um, and where he thinks that he'll be able to benefit, his family will be able to benefit. Good on the Bucks for for being opportunistic, for going out and finding a quarterback that they think can help them uh, win more than Jameis did. So yeah, no, it was a, a great move by the Buccaneers. And um, similar to you, I, I do question the fit, but the Buccaneers, out of all the suitors for Tom Brady, had the best offensive line, um, the best set of weapons, I would say. So there's a lot of reasons pointing to our, towards why. Um, any quarterback would want to play in that offense. So, uh, yeah, kudos to them for being opportunistic and going out and getting Brady, that's for sure. Another team that was super opportunistic in the NFC and and one that I would argue may be able to win their division now too, based on this one move potentially, um, the Arizona Cardinals went out and got DeAndre Hopkins from the the Houston Texans. And this this was a move that Everyone was scratching their head. Everyone was criticizing Bill O'Brien. Um, rightfully so. Rightfully so. The news came out today that he had a conversation with Hopkins right before Hopkins was traded and was comparing him with Aaron Hernandez and saying his his the mother of his children were around far too much. Um, seems like very unprofessional workplace type <laughs> instances happening, but... Um, good on the Cardinals for going out and getting him. There were a lot of other teams that were in the conversation as well, but for them to put Hopkins next to Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, Kyler Murray, um, Kenyon Drake by the looks of it as well, this team is is going to be great. Um, they got Devin Kennard today, and yeah, they did transition tag Kenyon Drake. So those three moves alone just make this team a lot scarier than a couple of days ago. Picking up Jordan Phillips as well to, to fill in the middle of that defensive line, they are... Yeah, they're just scary now. If Kyler Murray develops, I mean, if he develops at the rate that Lamar Jackson did, oh my goodness. Uh, If he develops at the rate of a normal um, first-round rookie quarterback who just is doing normal year-to-year, slowly getting better, even then, this is like a 10-win offense. The defense has some age, (laughs) which always can affect production. We saw it with the Patriots' defense. They were really great the first eight weeks. The last eight weeks of the season, their age caught up, and they didn't look as amazing anymore, but... Yeah, I, I don't want to play against the Arizona Cardinals anymore. They're a really, really good football team. Can they win their division? I actually had a conversation with one of our friends about this, um, who's a Niners fan. And I said, like, I, I don't necessarily know for sure if they can win this division, but I think they're, like, maybe one or two moves away on the defense. What are, are you thinking, something similar? It is a, it's a weird division. Um, I think the Rams are kind of in rebuild mode now. Which they is, have no money. Yeah, it's weird. Um the Seahawks, as long as Russell Wilson is there, are a threat. And the 49ers uh, were really dang close to winning a Super Bowl. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't think they're as good as the 49ers, but we've seen pretty consistently that this division is dumb and nothing ever really makes sense. And the Cardinals can beat anyone any week or anyone can beat them any week because that's just how this division functions. So it's hard to predict. I think they could win it. Uh, I don't think they will. I still think the 49ers need to be the favorite, but I don't think we can count the Cardinals out either. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, thinking it through a little bit more, I think the 49ers do win it, but it would not shock me at all if the Cardinals did win it um, ultimately. So 
Um, a couple other teams, though, that have had pretty good weeks thus far. Uh, the Colts going out and getting DeForest Buckner and paying him that massive contract. The 49ers forgetting the 13th uh, overall pick in that trade as well, along with keeping Eric Armstead and some other moves that they've made, uh, keeping Jimmy Ward as well. The Titans going out and paying Ryan Tannehill. Was it a little bit too much? Yes, but they kept him. Tagging Derrick Henry, so there was no... Um, they didn't lose Derrick Henry or they didn't have to have these hard conversations about why he doesn't deserve 15 million. Um, and then the Raiders as well. Um, not necessarily the biggest names in free agency or not huge moves, but the fact that they went out and got Corey Littleton, I'm a huge fan of, and they didn't pay him nearly as much money as I thought that they would. So those are the four other teams that I, I put as honorable mentions, Daniel, for, uh, yeah, for winning this week. But as we know, there were a lot of losers this week too. Um, probably the biggest loser of them all is the Houston Texans. I don't, I don't even know. Face palm. I like, you know, part of me when that, for that trade went through, I was like, Oh, like maybe the wide receiver market isn't amazing. Like maybe there's more to this. And then all of a sudden Stefan Diggs got traded for what felt like a King's ransom compared to what, was paid for uh, for DeAndre Hopkins. I I get the like personality differences between him and Bill O'Brien, whatever. And I don't tend to just believe a story because a player tells it. It's probably there's probably issues on both sides there. But wow, you trade the best receiver in football, a top three receiver. I don't think you can realistically go lower than top three with DeAndre Hopkins for uh, a horribly overpaid, injury prone running back and a second and a fourth, and you give them a fourth with that. Like, what? Why? And I just, like, around the NFL, just kept making the joke. It's a front office run by Bill O'Brien and a former pastor, and I feel like that just sums it up perfectly. Like, oh, my gosh, that was just stupid. Well, we've been talking about it for, I mean, how many episodes have we talked about our lack of faith? Or maybe I can take this one on specifically, my lack of faith in Bill O'Brien. I've been defending Bill O'Brien. It's over now. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about how much I was just disgusted by the way that he handled the lead in the uh, divisional round when they were beating the Chiefs by 24 points. But the fact that he has, you know, the key to the GM room as well as the key to the head coach room, um, it's just, it's so irrational. Um, the behavior he's acting with is just ridiculous. Okay, so think about this. Like, think about all the players that he traded away. Um, I, I mean, the two that I that stand out to me right now, Jadavion Clowney, and DeAndre Hopkins, and he never got a first-round pick for either of those. The fact that Houston still doesn't have a first-round pick, if they got the right compensation, no one would be scratching their heads, right? Like, if there's a personality, you know, um, complication or whatever the issue is, that's fine. But if there's good compensation, not too many people would be as skeptical. But this was just ridiculous. And then they go out and get Randall Cobb on a three-year deal for $27 million. Um, As far as I'm concerned, that's overpaying Cobb with any production he's had in the last four or five years. Um, They took on David Johnson's expensive contract. He's currently the third highest paid player on their roster at over $11 million. Um, Not hard to see that Bill O'Brien is not fit to run a front office for an organization that honestly should be competitive in the AFC. I mean, maybe not anymore, but I was just extremely disappointed. Um, There's talks about like, why would Deshaun Watson ever want to play for this guy? Like long-term, if this is the way he treats his players. So I, I can see the Texans organization tanking in the next two or three years, um, depending on whether or not Bill O'Brien stays there long term. Yeah, I think like one 
kind of redeeming move was resigning Bradley Roby. Um, but beyond that, like locking up Kaimi Fairbairn, like that's a good kicker. But everything else has just been awful. It felt like the Randall Cobb move was him trying to be like, look, I, I got someone, except it was the wrong someone, and he overpaid for him as well. So what just what what an awful few days if you're a Texans fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um another team in that division that isn't I guess having the the best start to free agency is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um specifically calling this one out from a financial perspective. Uh if you're not familiar with the way that the financials work in the NFL, um just because you trade a player doesn't necessarily mean that their full contract moves over to the new team that takes them on. So three of the members of the Jaguars that were all traded in the last week are all carrying salaries on the Jacksonville Jaguars payroll right now. So Nick Foles is costing almost 19 million. AJ Boye is costing 4 million. Clayus Campbell's costing two and a half million. And the Jaguars overall have 34 million in dead money, which goes against their salary cap. So honestly, just the, the handling of that, I guess, um, obviously the, the Jaguars are making moves sort of as a rebuilding process um, but just the amount of money that they've completely wasted in dead money is just uh, something that needed to be called out. Um, they brought in Dequeez Denard. Uh, they kept Yannick Ngakwe on a franchise tag. They brought in Joe Schobert, which was a really good move. So um, not like they're having a terrible free agency, but it's just the amount of money that's absolutely wasted on players that no longer play for the organization is crazy. This just feels like something Jacksonville's gotten really good at is wasting a lot of money and having dead money and not really handling the cap overall super well. Um, but like you said, like they've made a few kind of redeeming moves, but I don't know. I do think of like trading away Calais Campbell for a fifth, like his salary wasn't crazy. So that's kind of weird to me. Um, and like at this point, yeah, I don't think Jacksonville's a real threat. I also, I do have my reservations about them already trading foals. I think it might have been wise to maybe wait a few weeks and trade him at the trade deadline during the season um, because Minshew is still – was a, was he sixth round or was he undrafted? Uh, I think he was later round. Yeah, sixth yeah. or seventh round. That That's still, to me, after only seeing him for less than a full season, I would have my concerns, but Jacksonville's apparently all in. So I guess they've they've bought the ticket and they got to ride the ride now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's Yeah, it's an interesting time to be an AFC South team. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, we'll see the way that this gets handled and uh, how the Jaguars bounce back. Obviously, they're not afraid to spend money. Joe Schobert got a very lucrative deal, and Yannick Ngakwe is costing a decent amount. Um, but yeah, just again, the the amount of money that is on their <laughs> is uh, is hitting their cap in dead money. It's uh, something that needs to be called out. Something interesting though about Nick Foles last year uh, we were talking about him as one of the top quarterback prospects he goes to the Jaguars gets a very nice deal a lot of people are saying that's sort of how Ryan Tannehill is this year I don't necessarily agree but they're saying that Tennessee took on a lot of risk as well uh, Tennessee is not one of our loser teams obviously we mentioned them as a, an honorable mention for the winners but um, yeah the next team that we want to talk about as a loser um, they also have a lot of dead money the New England Patriots um obviously feeling the effects of Tom Brady leaving. Uh, that wasn't necessarily something that I think that they prepared for fully. Um, Jared Stidham is the best quarterback on the roster right now. And well, I think they have confidence in him. Um, I know that they've been in the quarterback market as well. 
Tom Brady cost $13.5 million to just walk. So that sucks. Um, they've given a really expensive uh, franchise tag to Joe Tooney, especially at the guard position. That's not something that the Patriots would typically do, uh, pay a guard top money at their position. They missed out on Diggs and Hopkins, apparently, and they have $21 million in dead money. So, uh, yes, they did bring back Slater. They did bring back McCourty. Um, they have a couple other deals in place which look like they could be steals, but um, really tough time to be the Patriots considering they have like no money to work with right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really bad week to be a Patriots fan. Well, like, I mean, just losing Tom Brady is enough from an emotional perspective, but, um, yeah, we were hoping that we'd get weapons. We were hoping that we maybe s- some of those defensive players would stay, but look at all the defensive players the Patriots lost. Well, this is a thing. Van Noy, Collins, Shelton. The only Fla- real uh, solace, and this is the um, sad part, is that it's in, Roberts. it's in, um, oh, what's the word? Sentimental value. We all wanted Slater to retire a Patriot. We all wanted Devin McCourty to retire a Patriot. They're both old. <laughs> we didn't really keep any young talent. We brought in uh, Damier Bird, who is uh, 5'8", but he's fast, uh, so that's useless. Um, Bo Allen just replaced Danny Shelton. Okay. It's, it's a bad few days. We have no cap room. We traded away um, a safety who... Like, I would have rather kept him and got rid of Patrick Chung, and we're yet to hear about the compensation there, but that's another move that I get the cap-clearing implications, but everything sucks this week. And, like, yes, we've had 20 years of excellence, so we can deal with it, but it's just true. It's it's a bad week to be a Patriots fan. Yeah, and, I mean, the Patriots are never really active during the first few days of free agency, too. Um, the, I think the when I saw the Stephon Gilmore signing in 2015 – that was a huge shock because it was like, yeah, right. The Patriots go out and get one of the top players on the market on the first day of free agency. So it's not something that happens often for the Patriots. So obviously they still have a chance to come back and get some of the the second wave of free agents. But yeah, just seeing the amount of talent that walked out of their um, walked out of their locker room and into either the Dolphins locker room or the Lions locker room um, or other locker rooms across the the NFL was quite disappointing. Um, another team that again like they it's i expected them to actually have a good free agency period and they've just had nothing to this point um the washington redskins so first off missing out on amari cooper you offered him more money than the dallas cowboys did but he sided with uh sticking with the cowboys that feels like an easy choice if i'm amari cooper oh absolutely right but as the cowboys you or uh sorry as the redskins you think you have enough money. You offer the guy more money. You're thinking that that's what it, what the clinching deal will be, but it wasn't. Um, I think that they wanted Bradbury. I think that was something that was mentioned a while ago and that Rivera was going to be aggressive to go out and get him. Um, The giants go out and give him a $15 million a year deal, which I think was quite overpaying him. But so the Redskins missed out there. And then they also missed out on digs, which apparently they were in the sweepstakes there. So it's disappointing to miss out on those big targets that they had. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they signed Kendall Fuller for way too much money. And part of this might be because he was drafted by them and they know him a little bit better than some other teams. But I don't think that they needed to pay that much money to get him. That felt like severe overpaid. Um, they haven't traded Trent Williams yet. And it, it feels like they should be getting something for him at this point in time. It feels like now is the good time to trade him. Um, understand that there might be some implications there from a health perspective, but 
really feels weird to me that they aren't trading him. And then, yeah, they have $38 million of cap space right now, which is like the eighth most in the league and haven't really done much. Yeah, the it's bad when your best move so far is franchise tagging a guard, which is the, probably the same thing I could have said about the Patriots, just in terms of the most talented young player that you kept in. Um, bringing in Thomas Davis, like really? You, the washed up vet who can't really play anymore? Familiarity with Ron Rivera, sure. right? Like, like I, I don't know. Uh, they're a team that really needed something just to show their fans like, hey, we actually kind of care about football because their organization has been a fiasco for the last few seasons. Uh, and they did nothing useful at all. So, yeah. They, when they had the money, right? Like, Yeah, it, it's it's been like, it's been a bad few days to be a Redskins fan. It's, it's been, been a, a bad, bad long time. To be a yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's just kind of where that's at. Uh, is it shocking that a, a bad front office performs poorly? No. Is it still unfortunate? Sure. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, it's not too big of a surprise, but I thought with Ron Rivera there, there might be some change to the guard there. I thought some teams might give that uh, that place a, a look, but unfortunately that's not the case for the Redskins. And we see the rest of that division getting a lot better with some crucial moves. Um, so yeah, not seeing the Redskins make those moves when they have cap space that some of those other teams don't have is is quite surprising. But another team that's just completely missed the mark on free agency is the, the Los Angeles Rams. Um, no real signings. Um, they got Leonard Floyd who was cut by the Bears. They paid him, I think, one year, $10 million fully guaranteed, which That's I thought... an okay deal. Yeah, okay. I thought I might be overpaying him. It's a, a prove it. Bit. I don't mind that signing, but the rest of their stuff is not great. Yeah, they, they just haven't done much at all. Like, I was looking over their transactions, and really there wasn't anything to, uh, to analyze. But I think, similar to the Patriots, the big thing here is how many players they lost. They lost Corey Littleton, who was called a Swiss Army knife on their defense, like a do-it-all man. They lost uh, Dante Fowler Jr. They lost Michael Brockers. Um, a lot of talent on their defense, and that's sort of where the strength of their team was, was that defensive line and uh, their linebacking core. So um, you throw Eric Weddle into the mix. Um, you throw uh, Nikel Roby Coleman in there as well. I believe he was released. Um, and then Andrew Whitworth signing for $10-plus million a year at the age of 38. The highest paid or the biggest non-quarterback 35 plus contract in NFL history. That's a lot of qualifiers. But, <laughs> but so they had $15 million left. It looked like before that Andrew Whitworth deal. So now 10 million of that, assuming it's like annual average is 10 each year. Um, they're down to $5 million in cap space and they spent it on three years of Andrew Whitworth when he talked about retiring last year. Um, last week I talked about it. Like I thought that he was either going to go to the chargers or he was going to retire. Like I, I saw no long-term future for this guy in the NFL um, he's not nearly the tackle he once was. So the Rams just, their front office really confuses me to be quite honest with you. But anyways, um, those were our, our big wins uh, or winners and losers so far in free agency. And obviously a lot can change. Uh, the draft can sway things as well. So the off season is not over by any means, but definitely just wanted to take some time to highlight both the winners and losers um, across the NFL thus far. And uh want to take some time to also advertise the Thirst and Goal podcast. Um, obviously, everyone's being hit by COVID-19. We're stuck to, to be quarantined at home, um, social distancing. So if you have time or you're you know, sitting at home with not too much to do and you want to listen to other podcasts, we highly recommend that you listen to the Thirst and Goal podcast. Um, great analysis, great episodes. Um, 
highly recommend giving them a listen. And uh, yeah, we, we personally really like talking with them. So definitely recommend their podcast. Do you love NFL football, fun, and booze? Join us at Thirst and Goal Podcast every Saturday night for weekly NFL coverage, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, and beer reviews. We mix expert football analysis with signature drinks, original segments, and lots and lots of laughs. That's right, football fans. Please join us at Thirst and Goal Podcast by heading over to thirstinggold.buzzsprout.com or search Thirst and Goal Podcast on the web. If you're tired of boring podcasts, Please come join our football party. To end off our uh, our podcast today, we want to talk about five bold predictions that we can see happening for the rest of the week. Um, this is the rest of the week of free agency and into our episode. So essentially, like before next Wednesday when we record, things that we can see happening. And to get us started, um, I think Todd Gurley gets traded before next week. Uh Daniel, are, are, you, is, are you calling this a bold prediction or is this obvious? I think it's bold solely because he's getting paid a stupid amount of money. The Rams would have to eat some of the salary, I think, for this to work out. Um, but we just saw DeAndre Hopkins get traded for David Johnson. So, uh, you know, maybe the Rams should be calling up Billy O and seeing if he's interested in having a good two-headed monster out there. Uh, but in all <laughs> seriousness, like he, when he was healthy still this year, when he was like his durability was was in a good place he was still looking like a solid not the game changer he was but like a good top seven ish running back um at that salary obviously he's not super attractive but i could see a team biting like at a low price just kind of a salary dump for the rams someone like the dolphins who just like man who cares like we have money to spare yeah i think that uh that's a good point right we talked about the colts as well i think you mentioned i can't remember who you said was a good suitor for them um, I think it was Derrick Henry a while back was uh, you're talking about maybe the Colts going after a running back to, you know, replace Marlon Mack. And they have or, an absurd amount of cap space too. Exactly. Right. So does a team like that just take a flyer on, on Todd Gurley? Um, ultimately wouldn't surprise me for multiple teams to be giving calls, at least finding out what the value is for them there. So um, we just talked about it. The Rams don't necessarily have the smartest front office. It would not surprise me to see him get traded if I had to make a bet as far as where I could see him going. Honestly, the two landing spots as of right now, Tampa Bay has a decent amount of cap space left, I believe, after the Tom Brady signing. Enough to maybe make a move for Gurley, depending on what they want to do on their defense. But either Tampa Bay or the Indianapolis Colts, I could see Todd Gurley being traded in the next in the next week or so uh, before next week's episode. Also, another player I could see getting traded before next week's episode is Darius Slay. Um, with them going out and signing Desmond Trufant, who was cut by the Falcons, everyone's saying that that points to Slay being traded. So maybe this isn't too bold. Yeah, I don't think this is bold. I think he could be gone tomorrow. So to add an, an additional element, do you think he gets traded to the AFC? Can we make that bold prediction that he gets traded cross-conference? Oh, man. I'm thinking, what about the Texans? Would the Texans go out and give something to the Lions? Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, is there anything there? That's possible. Like, definitely any former Patriot assistant, there could be, like, the potential of him going there. Even the Giants could definitely use a corner. This wouldn't be a terrible trade for them, though I don't know if Patricia and, uh, and oh, my gosh, Joe, Joe Judge. Judge were ever there at the same time. He's a... It, like this is all about the clash with Patricia. He's a fine corner and he's not getting paid a ton. So, I mean, Tampa would be a great fit if that team really is in win now mode, just to 
go out and get Slay just to shore up that defense a little bit more, like that'd be a great, great play by them. Yeah, um, they're definitely suitors, right? We've seen what the cornerback market looks like. Uh, so the Chargers getting Chris Harris, uh, Miami going after Byron Jones. So teams are willing to pay high. Um, that's <laughs> not something that we need to be convinced about for sure. So um, I could ultimately see him going to the Texans. I think after the move the other day, there's going to be some skepticism of Bill O'Brien's ability to manage a team. So if he goes and tries to pull out a big move like that would not be surprising. Um, okay, so this is maybe this is a bold prediction. Can you see one more big free agent? being traded before the end of or before next Wednesday's episode you said free agent you meant wide receiver right sorry yes one more big name wide receiver being traded I'll even give you the name Odell Beckham Julian Edelman Julian Edelman I think so interesting I think you have a 33 34 year old receiver who's had some durability issues his best friend just switched teams I think he's going to be upset I think he might want to move on from the Patriots I think Bill has shown absolutely not caring about a player who was important to the team it's whatever is in the best interest they're gone if they can be and if someone comes and offers bill a third round pick for him i could just see him gone give me potential suitors tampa bay if you if think it, they would go out if they're gonna get antonio brown well, if, to, AB, if tampa's like tom ab's not coming i could see him saying then go get me jewels like that's a real possibility um, they have the best receiving core in NFL history if that happens. Uh, ooh, that's a bit bold right there to make that statement, but Mike we'll let Evans, it slide. Chris Godwin, and Julian Edelman, that's absurd. Eh, that is an yeah. absurd level of talent in a receiving core. Um, I mean, we've seen former Patriot coaches love getting their former Patriot players. Billy O would be an option in Houston. God knows they need they need help at receiver. Um, <laughs> the Giants, the Joe Giants, Judge was their yeah, receiver's, court, the Giants, uh, receiver's coach. The Lions, I mean, he's he's old, but he showed last year that he's still very capable of playing. I could very much see him getting shipped out. It would be interesting to see him go to the Bengals, actually. That's one team that stands out to me. I don't necessarily know if there's a relationship there that that trade would happen, but um, another weapon for the, the Bengals, for Joe Burrow, or whoever that quarterback is that's coming into their system, would not surprise me for them to make a move like that as well. Um, considering that they have the first overall pick in each round, i believe that like the second or the third it would be interesting to see if they'd give that up to the patriots too so edelman's a name that's out there um would not surprise me if he gets traded to your point odell beckham jr there's always talks about him and who knows what his fit is um i i've heard name the name uh, julio jones i don't know i mean the falcons are just sort of shipping out anybody with a name in their organization just because of the cost i think they're you know very tight to the cap as well that's got to start at a first round pick for Julio though. First round pick and more, even with his big salary, like it's, it's 17 million. I believe he's, he's the highest paid receiver in football. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's 17 this year, but I can't it's remember like 22 what it's in a bit. I think maybe that's his annual average. average then. Yeah. yeah. Um, he'll, he would have some real trade value still, even at 30 years old. Cause he's Julio Jones. That would be a huge one. I could see them using him as a piece in the in the draft to maybe move up and grab one of these crazy receivers in this draft, just receiver for receiver and move on with a younger guy. They for traded sure. up. They traded up from what, like twenty eighth up to seventh or whatever to draft Julio back in twenty eleven. Yeah, no, it was a big move back in the day, that's for sure. So, um, he was a he was an Alabama receiver, and now there's two really good Alabama receivers in the first round of this draft. Well, at too. least one really good one and one really fast one. We'll see. Uh, true enough, right? Henry Ruggs. Uh, yeah, maybe 
there's still question marks around him from what I'm hearing other than his speed. But anyways, uh, bold prediction is that one more big name wide receiver will be traded before we record our next episode. Um, the next one here, uh, Jameis Winston, lots of quarterbacks have signed with other teams, have moved on, have been traded. The bold prediction here is that Jameis Winston does not get a deal exceeding $20 million per year. Um, that would basically mean that he signs as a backup somewhere. Percentage wise, how are you feeling about that one? Is that a bold prediction or like, do you think that that's pretty straightforward? After seeing Teddy's deal, this seems more likely to me than it would have because I'm taking Teddy Bridgewater over Jameis Winston. Any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So seeing him get just over 20 a year and Winston still sitting on the market with literally no reports about anyone really having any interest in him. I'm sure it's happening, but we haven't heard anything at all. I mean, and that's just because of everything being Tom Brady focused too, right? Like there's a lot of times where media just can't cover everything. But like... I don't know. He could either, he could get backup money. He could be um, a, like a gap year guy, go to I don't know, like Indiana. Oh wait, Indianapolis just got Phillip Rivers. Go, <laughs> go to Los Angeles, like go to the Chargers. That's possible. Well, I mean, a lot also falls on where does Cam Newton land up? Um, I think that Cam Newton could be a starter in this league as well. So that's one more quarterback job that looks like it's up for grabs right now that may not be too. So Also, you want some incredible uh, coach lying to the media footage? Just go get Joe Brady talking about how excited he was to work with Cam Newton. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, um, Joe Brady worked with Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans in 2018, I believe. I just, then he went to LSU for a year, came back to, or now is coming so back to the excited. Panthers. He was this generational talent. But like, shut up, man. Oh, it's so stupid. Fair enough. But I mean, situations change, you know, if they can bring in a quarterback that they're more familiar with and that he would know how to use because he coached him in New Orleans. Um, it's disappointing because I think a lot of Panthers fans were excited to see if Kemp could be resurrected again. But um, anyways, yeah, it's uh, a, a lot will happen for Jameis in the next week, I think. Um, but the bold prediction here is that he signs a deal for less than $20 million. Um, I think that's that's going to be fun to watch for sure. I actually, didn't realize that this was the next item on our list here, but Cam Newton will be traded before the weekend um, to either the Patriots or the Chargers. So a little bit of extra stipulations in there. Bold prediction, locking it in. One of those teams he'll be traded to in the next week. I know. <laughs> Like, Not, like I mean, the Patriots, Patriots aren't as likely. Them. The Chargers, maybe. But it seems more likely to me that, oh, like who would be a good, who would be a good cam fit? Because it's, it's going to be as a starter. Again, we talk about this. So the league is kind of oversaturated with starting level quarterbacks right it's now. It's true, yeah. So we'll see what his value actually looks like. He could also be a trade piece during the draft for the Panthers to try to jump a few spots at some point. Yeah, Um I feel like he has to be a starter. The question is where. And I don't um, know if there's an easy answer to that question at this point. The Chargers no, might really be his best bet, but it, like, is Tyrod Taylor at this point better than him? Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I feel like he would fit that offense a lot better than he would almost anywhere else. Um, I felt like he was the perfect fit for the Bears, but then they went out and got Nick Foles, and, and that makes sense because of his relationship with Matt Nagy, right? So it, it, it truly is just a matter of time. If a quarterback gets injured in training camp or I mean, if training camp even occurs, like who knows with, with COVID-19. But anyways, um, it's it'll be really interesting to watch where those final two quarterbacks land up because I think that they both are capable of still being starters. But 
we'll find out if the, the rest of the league thinks that's the case. Um, before we get into uh, the closing out pieces of our episode here, just wanted to call out a couple of the names that we actually predicted in our free agency predictions that ended up coming true. Um, a lot of them were the, the franchise tags, so those ones aren't too special. Uh, some of them were pretty obvious, so those aren't too special. But wanted to call out five specifically that we got right. Um, so Devin McCourty of the Patriots was a, a pretty big one. Lots of people would assume that the Patriots would go after him, but it wasn't too, uh, wasn't too certain whether or not the Patriots would have enough cap space to be able to pay him. Jalen Mills back to the Eagles. Um, that was a pretty cool one to see. Uh, I think it's only a one-year deal, but um, there was some uncertainty as to whether they'd invest in Byron Jones or whether they'd get Jalen Mills again. So, you know, it was cool to see that that actually came true. Jamie Collins to the Lions. Um, that was something I bet a lot of people were predicting just because of the fact that it's Matt Patricia and he knows how to use Jamie Collins, but uh, got that one right. Brian Bulaga to the Chargers. Um, that one was a pretty pretty encouraging uh, prediction to get right just because there wasn't really a tie there. It was more so just the Chargers really have that need. Um, the last one specifically was uh, Bradley Roby, not just to the Texans, but actually predicting three-year, $36 million deal, which is exactly 100% bang on. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. My my dream job has always been to be like a GM in the NFL. And Daniel, I, I sort of felt like that as we were going through the process of assessing where these guys belong. It felt like sort of, um, you know, this is what a GM must feel like. It was pretty cool. <laughs> we're both too cautious with our money, though. Yeah. We didn't, like, we didn't want to pay uh, Byron Jones like the best corner in football. No, I think we were talking about him at like 14 a year. We were talking about James Bradbury at um, three-year, 40.5 million. He got three-year, 45 million. Um, Joe Schobert got over uh, or paid more than I thought. Blake Martinez as well. Like yeah, a lot of these deal. defensive players, especially guys on the defensive line, like Shaq Lawson, $10 million a year. I think so many of these signings are being made because of the new CBA and just these assumptions about the cap. I think every every contract we've ever known as being big is going to get blown out of the water next year. Well, and then there's some deals that just kind of underwhelmed. Like to your point, Teddy Bridgewater's deal was not a big one. Yeah. Um, I like there were talks about him being a thirty million dollar a year quarterback, and obviously the market was there for lots of quarterbacks. So there's so many different options that you sort of had leverage as a team to be able to negotiate. Derrick Henry franchise tag did not get the money we thought. Shaq Barrett same thing. Jadavion Clowney is asking for 20 a year and there's no team that's willing to pay that. So yep. a lot of our predictions haven't exactly been accurate to what teams are willing to pay or, I mean, players aren't, you know, getting the amount of money in some cases that we thought they might be able to assert. So anyways, it was interesting to call out a couple wins on our part for our investigation and also our uh, financial knowledge of the NFL. It was cool to be GMs for a couple weeks. Twitter also just had a good time this week. We saw a lot of fun things going on, whether that was um, the the accounts. So official NFL Twitter accounts are not allowed to report moves that are not official yet, uh, but they are allowed to post reporters things. And so with physicals not being able to happen because of the virus, uh, we had a lot of Twitter accounts tweeting about how, well, the Arizona Cardinals would tweet out, oh, well, there are reports that we've traded for DeAndre Hopkins, which was a lot of fun. Um, also, just a fun Twitter exchange, Jamal Adams this morning, I guess early this afternoon, tweeted out. Um, oh, goodness. Oh, let me let me read it exactly. It's very good. Uh, he tweets out, I remember everybody drafted in front of me, to which Marshawn, Marshawn Lattimore replies, bruh, it was only five people, LOL. I was and thinking like, the same thing, actually. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I love it. 
So it was a good week for Twitter. I know, Adam, you were enjoying a lot of the fake Schefter accounts that were going wild this week. Yeah, it's so funny. Just communicating with so many different people about um, where Brady was going to end up. Every single time, uh, like, I mean, every single time that uh, a report was broke out as far as where Brady was going, you'd go and look and it was some reporter. A lot of times it was like Patriots beat reporters or Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat reporters that were falling for fake Schefter accounts, fake Ian Rappaport accounts. And the amount of just news breaking that was attributed to that source it's just so funny um you see guys like colin coward or just so many of these announcers that are like oh yeah we got a source it is like tom brady is going to the tampa bay buccaneers on a 60 million dollar deal and then you like look at the the account and it's yeah some fake accounts you know not even remotely related to Schefter uh, or the handle is not even close to what adam Schefter's is so anyways just a lot of fun to see those spoof accounts um but also kind of like an emotional week too. Whenever you see players that are getting moved to different teams, um, seeing Deshaun Watson in the way that he, uh, you know, was sort of interacting with um, DeAndre Hopkins and like, thank you so much for everything that you taught me. Like that's pretty emotional too. Being a quarterback that had a great relationship with the receiver and that receiver just disappearing overnight. Um, there was uh, DJ Chark for the Jacksonville Jaguars saying thank you to Nick Foles. Um, everyone saying thank you to Tom Brady. Like some of those are pretty emotional to read just how much those players had learned from Tom Brady and appreciated his mentorship. So um, it's an emotional time of year, obviously, for the amounts of players that are moving on and, you know, losing the relationships that they had with these guys who were essentially brothers for um, portions of their career. So it was a, a fun week on Twitter, a sad week on Twitter, and just nice to have distraction from COVID-19, to be quite frank. So very thankful that the NFL kept free agency where it was and that people aren't being forced to travel to sign contracts and everything right now which was a large concern earlier this week so anyways thank you to the nfl for keeping us distracted from covid19 this week yeah it's crazy we're at the time of recording free agency officially only opened about seven hours ago um, so we are still technically in the early stages which is a little nuts we still have um, oh yeah, a lot of big name players who we haven't even really heard reports about where they're going there's still potential for a lot of trades. The draft is starting to ramp up, even with pro days and stuff being canceled. All that news is going to start swirling, but um, we'll be here next week and, and every week after to continue to talk about um, just all things NFL, and especially as the dust settles from free agency. We will see you all again next week.